0: It's my pleasure to have you join us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in a few minutes in today's Clark-rageous moment, we are ripping off our children. And I'm going to tell you what we should be doing about it. That's right. We are the rip-off artists. And coming up later... I got so many questions about using a robo for investing, a robo-advisor. I want to put some meat on the bones about what a lot of them are doing, bringing the human element back in, because it turns out a lot of people aren't happy with just the computer. How do you mix the computer and the human? Well, speaking of that, in food prep... Robots are becoming more and more part of the picture. Because of a technology developed by an Israeli company, robots now have the ability basically to see. And robots are now working in uh, food processing plants and soon to appear as smaller units become available in restaurants preparing food that is either dangerous, slow, or causes repetitive injuries or whatever. Think about things like processing poultry or whatever. And I saw an item in the Wall Street Journal about a robot with laser vision and artificial intelligence, automated arms, that... One of them works in a sausage factory and is able to process sausages at a rate of 200 a minute, where a human could do just a few a minute, and at the same time without the danger. I have been on a tour of a chicken processing plant. Oh my goodness, the people that work in those plants. They are so much tougher than I am. It is brutal and dangerous work, exhausting, and now robotics that can do work in a chicken processing plant can do it a hundred times quicker than a human. A hundred times. So we hear about the things where machines, robots, robots, are a threat to us as workers. And there are situations where that's certainly the case, where the robot does replace human effort. And there's worry about where the jobs are going to come from. And I want to tell you, I'm not worried about that. There are so many jobs in the economy that the need for workers. And people that will do the work is so extreme. Because I'm telling you, if you walked in one of those plants with me, you'd see why people don't stay. You'd see why people get injured. And there are many things like that. I think about in automotive plants where people used to have such terrific, terrific, that's really a bad way to express it, uh, terrible would be a better word health problems from working in the paint shop on an automobile assembly line even with protective gear the health problems that would result and it was hard for a human to paint a car accurately. Today robots do that work and they do it with perfection. Imperceptible flaws to the human eye and it eliminates the health problems. I and mean, there's many aspects of what we fear, and that's the advancement of technology that actually creates a safer environment, a better environment for us as humans, and other jobs follow. You know, the United States, two year, three years ago, hit an all-time record for manufacturing. Did it with fewer people, but in much safer environments. You know, we have a big problem in the United States with the number of people who die on the job. There's a danger in job job sites. I think about housing, where there's so much danger for workers on a site, and as we automate and use robotics in an industry that faces intense labor shortages, it will lower the cost of housing and improve the quality of that housing as well. And other jobs appear. If you're a longtime listener, you've heard me give the example from agriculture that when agriculture started what was then called mechanization, mechanizing, when that started, there was great fear across the land since ninety seven percent of people earned their livelihood on the farm that there would be massive unemployment. Didn't happen. And today, a tiny fraction of people produce more food on American farms than ever before. The nature of jobs change. Don't fear the technology that comes along that creates a lot of that change. Even though crazy man Elon Musk says, We have to fear artificial intelligence. The coming of the machines like in Terminator. Terminator. I don't share those fears. Kevin's with us on the Clark Howard show. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Clark. What's going on, Kevin?
1: Uh, You know, I I just have a quick question for you. I I listen to your show often, and I hear you talk a lot about Roths, you know, the right way to start in uh, investing. And then, um, you know, I am self-employed, and then I hear you talk about SETS. So I guess my question is, um, do I start with the Roth? and then move to a SEP, or do I just um, fully fund, or not fully fund, but just start a SEP and not a Roth?
0: How many employees do you have?
1: Uh, you know, I'm self-employed. I just work by myself. That's it.
0: Ha! How about we're going to split this baby? Okay. There, There is something else you can do. See, I'm like Solomon in the Bible here. There's something Absolutely. else you can do that is called a Solo 401k. Has anybody mentioned that to you?
1: You know, know, I probably heard you talk about it before, but, you know, not not often. I think a lot of times I hear more about the Roth or a SEP. Yeah, and that's
0: true. You hear both of those from me. The solo or self-employed 401k is something that you're able to do with any of the low-cost companies, and you pay uh, no setup fees. It's kind of like setting up a SEP, just a little more upfront paperwork. And it gives you more sure. flexibility because you can do the Roth 401k or the traditional 401k and as the solo or self-employed and so you have access to the same low-cost funds that you'd have with a Roth IRA with a SEP and with the self-employed 401k but it gives you more of the flexibility of contribution limits significantly beyond what you can do just in a Roth. So instead of having to open Roth IRA, so instead of having to open a Roth IRA, open a SEP, say, okay, I'm going to put this much in the Roth IRA, this much in the SEP, instead you can have the self-employed 401k and based on how well you're doing self-employed, you choose in a year how much you're going to put in it. Okay. Now, when you, so, if you decide to go the self-employed 401k route, mm-hmm. when you talk to any of the low-cost companies, you've got to make sure you talk to a retirement specialist, because okay. if somebody's not a retirement specialist, they're not going to be knowledgeable on the solo or self-employed 401k. It's actually the same thing. People just call it both of those okay. names. Okay. And then, and if, then you, if you have a year you make huge profits and you're facing a giant tax bill, that's a year you might choose to do the traditional 401k contribution. In a year where your tax bracket's more reasonable, uh, maybe you didn't make a huge amount of money but you make a decent living and you have money you can put aside, that year you might want to do the Roth 401k.
1: Oh, so you can flex back and forth year to year. Oh, okay.
0: depends on the uh, administrator, whichever organization you go with. But yes, usually you could choose. All right, this much I'm doing traditional. This much I'm doing Roth Solo four hundred one k. Oh, perfect. And when yeah. you're, if you're talking to somebody at one of these uh, companies, whether it's Fidelity, Schwab, Vanguard, T Rowe Price, those are the big four low cost. When Mm -hmm. you're talking with somebody, if it sounds like they're kind of faking it, like they really don't know that product, ask if there's a senior specialist who could go in-depth with you on how the solo or self-employed 401k works. Perfect. So actually, we did the opposite of splitting the baby. We put it back together into one choice.
1: Well, yeah, and, and that, I'm so glad I called because that makes it, um, you know, before I was looking at, well, if I just do 5500 in a Roth and then what, move to a SEP, but this kind of takes care of all that in one, so.
0: Exactly. If you ever end up with employees, it's not going to work anymore, and then do your original thing of the Roth IRA and doing the SEP. Matt's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Matt.
2: Hey, Clark. How we doing?
0: Great. Thank you, Matt. Your wife's getting a free car.
2: Tell me about that. Let's, let's pump the brakes, no pun intended. Uh, we aren't married yet. Oh, okay. Um, but now but that yeah, she's got so, a free car, you want to, right? Yeah, sweet is the deal. Uh, no, um, we, are, we are both relocating to the northeast from Texas. Um, the new job she will have comes with a company car, uh, so that will leave three cars for two people. Um, both of us finance our cars. Um, one has 25000 approximately still owed and would sell for about 18 on Kelly Blue Book. Um, the other car only owes about 8000 and would sell for approximately 12. So my question is, um, which one should we dump and or is there any other website that might give a more competitive or accurate estimation of... Street value.
0: So I recommend. No, you could look at Kelley Blue Book. You could look at admins, You could look at NADA. But you have a general range here that the older vehicle is worth more than what remains owed as a balance. The newer vehicle, you'd be upside down. You'd have to write a, a check for about what you owe on the older vehicle. So we're talking a big swing here: fifteen thousand, uh, no, eleven thousand dollars swing. You said. Yeah. You said uh it's worth 4000 more than the 8 that's owed. So what I would recommend is that you sell the older vehicle. Cuz the loan you have on, unless you hate the car that you owe 25,000 on.
2: No, it's it's a it's a nice car. It's it's an actually a nicer car than the the other one.
0: Yeah, um, so that's the possible. move I'd make because otherwise you're having to come out of pocket with potentially $7,000.
2: Right. I just didn't know if over the long term if the maintenance costs or upkeep of the more luxury car would offset those expenses, but to say that out loud, probably not.
0: Yeah, I think you, when you look at the money you'd have to lay out in cash, no, not so much. Now, there is one yeah. factor. Where in the Northeast are you going to be living?
2: Philadelphia.
0: So the only factor I could think of that might be an X factor... Is to talk to your auto insurer and see if there's a massive difference in the auto insurance premium on the uh, luxury car that you still owe 25 grand on versus the older car that you owe just the eight on. Okay. And that might fuzzy things up, might make it more confusing. But just at first glance, with the numbers you laid out. Uh, you're going to probably want to sell the older one.
2: Okay. One other thing... Maybe put towards the newer one. Right.
0: Have either of you lived in the north before? I have. Okay. So it goes without saying that she's going to have a learning curve with driving through winter driving conditions?
2: (laughs) Yeah, and city driving conditions.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) she's got to be really careful out there uh, you know, I, when I lived in the North, I'd grown up in the South, and when I lived in the North, driving was quite an experience for me through heavy snowfall. I want to tell you, today's Clark-rageous moment is really something I'm twisted in knots about. I am very, very agitated. I'm very upset that we are looking at a trillion-dollar budget deficit at the federal level this year, and trillion dollar plus deficits that's a thousand billion plus dollars year after year going forward and that's in the midst of a very strong economy we make ourselves weaker as a country when we add on more and more and more debt in our own lives we know that to be true right and we as americans used to care about this but for some reason doesn't matter where people are on the political spectrum Nobody seems to care about the continual stabbing in the back of our children and maybe future grandchildren we're doing by running up these massive deficits. It has always been my belief that we should pay the taxes for the government we're willing to have. And if we're not willing to pay for it, there's no tooth fairy who's going to do it. So we either need to reduce the involvement of government in our lives, or we need to pay more tax. We need to grow up. My preference, of course, always is to have government do less and have less tax. But we right now as Americans, we want our candy, we want to get the cavities in our mouth, but we don't want to have to even brush our teeth. I mean, this is crazy. We need to have national discipline. And whatever it is we want government to do for us, if we want government to do it, we got to be willing to pay for it because it's not right, it's not fair for our country's future, our position in the world, but especially not fair to the next generation. Glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. So we're in a time that We've had quite a run-up in stock markets over the years. At the same time, a lot of people are nervous, waiting for the the shoe to drop, waiting for the market to face turmoil. It always comes from something unexpected, not something expected. And markets do go through ups and downs. A lot of people have had a nice run over the last decade who have been investing, usually through a plan at work, but could be a self-employed individual, maybe even you have an investment account. And you may be using one of the robos, where you use something like Betterment or Wealthfront, or uh, maybe use the Schwab Intelligent Portfolios. And so you're on kind of automatic pilot. And automatic pilot works fine for a lot of people when things are going well. But on the other hand, you may have questions where you're trying to go with your investments, what your goals are, and what to do when the hiccup comes with the marketplace. And so the big thing going on now, and it's ironic because half hour ago, I was talking about robots in the workplace. Now I'm talking about robots and investing. And what more and more people have been hungering for is a combo meal where you have maybe robotic investing, but you also have access to a human. And so now that seems to be an option that's morphing is available from so many people. Fidelity Investments does it for 0.35% per year, where you have access to, in their case, a team of humans they call the Fidelity Go team. Schwab has what they call intelligent advisory where you have humans you're able to talk to and plan with and you have to have a higher minimum, Fidelity's no minimum. Schwab, you have to have 25 grand to be part of it. And Schwab charges 0.28 of a percent. Again, very small percents. 0.35, 0.28. Traditionally, hiring somebody for advice costs you 1% of your money. Vanguard has what they call personal advisor services, 0.3%. But you have to have $50,000 in order to have access to the humans. Those are the big three of the low-cost firms. So Fidelity, if you're just starting out, you still want the humans, Fidelity is where you want to go. Since both Schwab and Vanguard are going to require more money from you, and then there are the independents that provide advice. Sigfig uses a completely different model. Sigfig is free till you hit ten thousand dollars. You have to have two thousand to open, but the advice from humans is free till you hit ten thousand. After that, it's 0. .25. and betterment is 0.40 for premium services. But the point is they're all cheaper than the traditional. They're all cheaper than the way it used to be at 1%. And it's a combination, a potentially very good marriage, of the robotics building a portfolio for you and the human guiding you through the larger issues of what your goals are helping you plan, and help you when you freak out. That's a financial term, freaking out. Evan's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Evan.
1: Hey, Clark, how are
0: you? Great, thank you, Evan. So you're a renter right now, and you really hadn't been ready to buy, but now you're feeling pressured? Tell me about that.
1: Well, I, I think, I don't know if I'm feeling pressured, but uh, I think it's just, it's becoming more convenient than anything. Um, basically, our landlords uh, have told us that they, they don't wish to um, allow any more renting. They'd like to sell the property at the end of our lease. And so my wife and I, uh, our lease is up on the 1st of January, and our, uh, our first child is due in the middle of December. So as you can imagine, <laughs> uh, impressive,
0: impressive. wow, that's a lot of life change all in a couple of
1: weeks. You're not kidding. You're not kidding. Um, Congratulations
0: so, to both of you, by the way.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, so we're we're in the position now where the next move all along uh, and our plan was to buy. Now I'm um, we're in a we're in a good position to buy. Um, obviously, another year would have been great, but um, you know I'm, now that we're face of this position uh, essentially we're we're faced with either buying the current place that we're in because our landlords have offered us first dibs uh, and then if not if we don't choose to go that route then the other route would be to find a, a, another property and buy that uh, but essentially we still have the same deadline which is january 1st
0: so Or you or you, you could rent something else till you get through with the first year of Uh, living in baby land and let me tell you it's a special land you go live that first year but um, it often can be a very attractive thing when a landlord says I'm out of being a landlord you're here we'd like for you potentially to be the buyer so let's get to specifics do you like the neighborhood of the property that you're renting we do and do you like the actual individual unit or home that you're renting?
1: We do, yes.
0: And you've lived with it. How long have you been a tenant there?
1: About nine months.
0: So that's enough time for you to know if it's a troublesome property.
1: Right. I think the only, the the, the con, the main con that we see, which might not have been a factor, uh, you know, 9 months ago was that obviously now having a child on the way the the school district we're in is not necessarily where we'd like to be it's okay um so you know our thought was hey what if we buy this place and then when the time time comes for our you know our our child to be in school we might move or you know we might just hey why don't we just you know start with the end in mind and buy new in a district we'd like obviously there's a lot of factors there but that's the school district is the only The only con. Everything else we like, though. Love the unit. Love the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, a lot can happen in the next five years before a school district becomes really paramount. And if it's a great place for you to live right now, has the owner been specific what kind of a price they'll sell it to you at? And are they willing to finance it? Or do you have to go get your own loan? Have they addressed things like that?
1: So they... Have, they've essentially put it on us to make the first offer so i've been you know doing my homework with uh mortgages and, and getting pre-approved and such um uh, and i've gotten a cma so i know a little bit of a range uh, i know the you know, just what for the other people
0: comparative appraisal. market analysis
1: right yeah right so, so and i've gotten an appraisal from you know the cop from the uh the county assessor's office. So I know a little a ballpark of, of kind of what it's priced at. All right,
0: so you, by providing certainty to the seller, they don't have to worry about it being vacant for any period of time. They don't have to worry about uh, doing showings or anything like that, paying a real estate commission. You should be able to buy the property from them at 10% below what the market average appears to be. Okay. That's the target you want to look at.
1: Okay.
0: Because think about it, they have a they have the uncertainty, they have the, the period of time that it may go unsold. They have a commission to an agent, depending on the place in the market, six or seven percent in much of the country, maybe five. So you provide a real certainty and advantage to them that it creates a win win. Okay.
1: That's good. I mean I guess yeah, I mean essentially the the, the stress of Potentially moving out is just outweighs, uh, you know, the less stress, obviously, of just staying put and and just going through procedures. Sure, but
0: don't but don't be so sold on that that you bargain at a weakened position.
1: Okay,
0: so So you got to stay strong and be willing to move because when you're when you're like, oh, we really 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 want to stay here, you'll pay too much. And it sounds like it's going to be a friendly transaction, the best kind in this kind of circumstance. Angie's with us. And again, congratulations on your baby. Angie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Angie. Hi there, Clark. Angie, you have a difficult dilemma to figure out, don't you?
3: We do, and it's driving us nuts on what to do.
0: Uh Uh-oh, hit me with it. (laughs)
3: Well, I have an accrued pension benefit with a previous employer from several years ago. And like many companies right now, they are offering me an early one-time lump sum buyout. And I need to respond to them by next week. So basically, my three choices that they have given me are, one, I can take a lump sum now in the form of a one-time payment, which would be about $21,000. Uh, The second option is to still take the lump sum offer now, but in the form of monthly annuity payments at a reduced rate. And how much would it be now? uh, For now, it would be if I just did a straight annuity payment to myself and didn't do any type of survivorship things, it would be about $83 a month if I did that now.
0: So that's uh, $1,000 a year. Right. Okay, and then what is at, it if you wait till age 65?
3: At age 65, um, it would be $225 per month.
0: Uh, okay, It's 12, 24, 2600. You know, my normal preference is for you to wait to take it as a monthly payment, but right. uh, we have a guy who contributes to Clark.com as a writer, who is a financial expert and particularly one on pension payouts. And we've just posted a new item from him on how you compute based on your individual pension. You can plug in numbers and it will help you calculate whether you're best off taking the lump sum in a situation like this where they want to get rid of you or you're best off taking the monthly payments for the rest of your life.
3: That would be awesome.
0: So go read that. The writer of that article is a guy named Wes Moss, W-E-S-M-O-S-S. Moss. M-O-S-S. Okay. And it's simply headlined, Should You Take Your Pension in a Lump Sum or Monthly Payments? Okay. You'll that That couldn't be more perfect for what you just asked me, could it?
3: Exactly, and I feel like a lot of people are going to be in that situation as companies try and reduce their pension liability. So. And how
0: solid financially is the company?
3: Uh, definitely uh, Fortune 100, so very solid company.
0: But how have they been doing? Because just because they're big doesn't mean they're yeah. hanging around.
3: <laughs> um, they seem to be doing well. Because so, okay. um, that that's that's the X around. factor
0: for me as well. Right. Is the advantage yeah. of waiting, is it, how many more years do you plan to work?
3: Uh, probably about 11 years. Okay. So I'm 53 right now. So, so
0: you'd I'm be 54. right at the point pretty much where you get the full amount per month. The advantage of waiting and taking it later as a monthly check is that you don't have to worry about how to invest it and the money's there for the rest of your life and you had survivor right. you get a smaller but it's there for uh, whoever you designate spouse or whoever is your survivor usually spouse um, right. but go look at the formula see if it answers it for you and okay. I'm so glad you're asking rather than just doing because most people just say hey I'm going to take the 21 grand right now. I'm not going to let that money sit there. But many times it is better to defer and wait till age 65. So run it through our, our thing Wes has put together for
4: us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Joshua joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joshua. Hey, Clark. Joshua, you got a preschooler there. Tell me about it.
2: Yeah. She just started uh, first grade, actually. Or kindergarten, I'm sorry.
0: Really? Wow, time flies. What's her name, Joshua?
2: Her name is Aislin?
0: Aislinn? I've never heard of an Aislin before. That's interesting. So, how can I help with Aislin?
2: We've been uh, putting Becca's savings in just a, a, a savings account under under my bank account, uh, pretty much since she was born. I've uh, just kind of contributed, you know, five or ten dollars a week or so to it. It's gotten a little over a thousand dollars or so in there. I would like to it somewhere where it can do it a little bit uh, more good than what it's doing now
0: all right well uh how bright does she seem to be
2: how, oh she's she's very very smart
0: so she's headed to mit harvard stanford <laughs> caltech
2: could be could be
0: how likely is college in her future and your family culture
2: um, I am, I don't lean towards college. Um, uh, I like the trades a little better personally, uh, but, um, if she does happen to want to go to college, you know, I, I do want her to have the opportunity, uh, to go. All right.
0: Do you know why I asked that question?
2: Um, based on, I guess the, the type of, uh, uh account or, or yeah, cause start for her.
0: cause there's these great accounts available for kids where you can put money aside for college, and it grows tax-free, and it's spent tax-free. But if the kid doesn't go to college, you get eaten up with penalties and taxes. So that's yeah. why I always ask that question. So if college is, uh, you know, what sometimes people say, you bet she's going to college. She doesn't have a choice. It doesn't matter. And then other people will say, well, you know, whatever works best for her, for a trade or whatever, and that would mean not doing Uh, college plan. So what is the purpose of this money for Aislin long-term?
2: I don't know if I want her to be able to use it uh, when she turns 18 or 21, or if it would just kind of be more towards like maybe an early type of retirement for her, uh, something of that nature. All right. Either or. Um, So right now
0: this is in a savings account, and your purpose and intention for it is to be for her benefit. Right. All right, I'm going to tell you the craziest suggestion. You ever heard of a Roth IRA?
2: Yes, I have.
0: So I would put the money, I would empty the savings account, put it into a Roth IRA, and all the money that you ever intend to be for her benefit goes in that Roth. That way it grows tax-free. You can give her the contributions of this money you put in it, tax-free, penalty-free, when she reaches 18 or 21. But you own the account. You control it. Whatever earnings it has over the next couple of decades, that stays in there for you for your retirement way down the road. And the contributions can go to her. But whatever earnings stay there for you. The beauty of it is you keep control. It grows tax-free. You give her the money tax-free. And it's the best possible thing I can recommend. Go to Clark.com. Look at my investment guide. To set up a Roth, it'll be really easy. You own it. And then you and I both know the contributions are what are going to go to her tax-free. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, there's a giant team behind bringing you everything we do at Team Clark. Our podcast and radio show are produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese and Jim Ayers. My TV producer is Leah Dunn. Clark.com is made possible thanks to Krista DiBiase, James DeGal, John Crest, Theo Timu, Michael Timmerman, Craig Johnson, Beth Marcinko, Clara Bosinetto, John Jones, and Grace Del Rio. ClarkDeals.com, where you can find the best deals from around the web, is produced by Karis Brown, Laura Sayers, Sarah Jordan, and Damon Marley. You can sign up for our newsletters at Clark.com thanks to Sally McDonald and our social media gurus are Chelsea Glass and Nicole Carroll. Our Off-Air Advice Center is run by Lori Silverman, Sarah Mobley, and Sue Gatliff. And their team's available to serve you over 40 hours each week at 404-892-8227. And this is a free service of Team Clark. Thanks for listening till next time.